Hey everyone, excited for this week's episode with Sarah Rosso. Sarah is the Director of Global Product Marketing at Cloud Blue, and we talk about how to be an effective PMM while working remotely, something we all have a bit of an education on right now, but Sarah has a PhD in it. She has been doing it for a long time, and she had a ton to share about remote, including team building, communication, you name it. Keep listening, it's a really, really good one. I learned a lot from Sarah, and she's great. Some slightly bittersweet news. We are nearing the end of season one of the Product Marketing Experts. I know, I know people, we have done a ton of episodes. It's been super fun. I've learned a lot, but it'll be good to take a little bit of a break. But we've got at least another month of Marcus content coming your way. Then I'll take that little break and we'll figure out when season two is gonna come back. But we've got a very special little thing planned in the meantime, a mini series. We've cooked up a mini series to kind of fill the void. So there will be content in between season one and season two. And it won't be for me, but it'll still be on the product marketing experts. And I think it's gonna be really good. So stay tuned uh, for more info on that. We'll share it soon. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird.com is a peer mentoring platform for product marketers. There's an amazing website, Sharebird.com. There's a job board, great resources, AMAs. If you haven't seen it, check it out. If you have feedback on this podcast or things you want to hear, things you'd like, ideas you have, email podcast at Sharebird.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM. We love hearing from you. Shout out to our sponsor, Crayon. If you aren't familiar with it, Crayon is an awesome tool for product marketers. Crayon makes analyzing market trends easy. It makes acting on insights super easy. It does all of this automatically. This means dynamically updated sales battle cards, alerts, dashboards, and much more. Crayon is a really good tool for product marketers looking to maintain differentiated messaging, improve sales win rates, catch important updates from competitors, and much more. Check out Crayon at crayon.co. All right, let's go! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts, brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into remote work and what it means for product marketing. Super excited. It is 2021. Really looking forward to this year. Hoping 21 is a lot more like 19 than 20. But of course, some things will never go back to normal. I'm doing the quotes things with my hands. And work is one of those things. Everyone has been part of this massive, massive experiment in remote work. And while, of course, it's been really hard and devastating to certain industries and people like travel and restaurants, for others, it hasn't been that bad. You know, if you work in B2B SaaS, for instance, we've managed with it pretty well, I think, for the most part. I can't speak for everybody, obviously. But the result is that it's accelerating a lot of us into the future. Remote or hybrid work is 100% the way things are going. And having a a dedicated cube in an office really isn't the standard anymore, isn't going to be. Coming into the office when you need to, maybe with a floater desk, likely is, something like that, something a little more hybrid. And with any change like this, it's not the smartest or the strongest who will win, but those who are most flexible, those who can adapt the quickest. Product marketing is still product marketing when done from the comfort of your home, but we are maybe the most relationship-driven cross-functional communications group in the entire company. Uh, So there's a clear benefit of being able to walk across the room to your director of product management, for instance, and tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, hey, I got a question. 
Today's product marketing expert, Sarah Rosso, spent years working in the 100% distributed company Automatic, the makers of WordPress. She has 20 plus years of experience in technology and digital strategy, and she's currently leading a B2B org of PMMs, data analysts, and UX designers as the director of global product marketing at CloudBlue. So however you're thinking about the future of work, she can help. Sarah, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back, actually. I will. I just want to apologize to you on the air. This is the first time it's ever happened, listeners, but I lost Sarah's first episode. So this is take two. Very gracious of you. Thank you, Sarah. No, I'm excited. I've been a listener for quite some time, so I'm excited to, to talk to the, the audience and, and in general, keep learning <laughs> myself as I hear the episodes. All right. Well, maybe we could do a third take then. Maybe we'll do, we'll do, no, I'm kidding. But thank you. All right. So, you know, I just, I'm very curious how you got into product marketing. Can you give us a little bit um, of the background of how you got to Cloud Blue and how you originally got into product marketing? Yeah. So my path has not been a straight line. And I'll say part of listening to this podcast has been super validating to hear other people having the same squiggly corners. And I really had an obsession about the the why and, and the what we say. I started as a network engineer and then you know spent over a decade in Italy living abroad and as a native English speaker, really started getting uh, involved in online digital strategy and you know what we were saying online and what and worked in a design agency very closely with UX designers where we started to ask what are we trying to achieve here what do we want the customer journey to look like why do we put that button there in the, you know in in a, in a bank interface for example so really getting more into that mindset and then from there I was getting really involved in the WordPress community and found out there was a company doing that full time. So became a very early hire at Automatic, which is WordPress.com, WordPress VIP. Now they also have Tumblr and WooCommerce and really started building up the enterprise side of the business and had to wear pretty much every hat that I've heard other product marketers wear. But thinking about how do we scale? How do we build something that that customers want and how do we talk to them about it? So that's that's how I got here and you know, kind of continuing that at CloudBlue as well. Awesome. Super, really interesting. Yeah, a little a little squiggly, but glad to hear that, you know, like you're saying in, in the podcast, when I ask this question, I always ask it and I always find the answers really interesting just because it's never the same. And it's always fascinating to me to hear about where people have come from and the experiences they had. So thanks for sharing that. And so automatic is one, at least you're, you're remote now and automatic was 100% distributed, I think. And we're all in this situation now. Like we were just talking about this. I'm joining Pendo. I'm going to be remote for Pendo. I don't know if that's, you know, if this would, you know, if I wouldn't have spent the last year working remote would have been something I'd been as comfortable with. Not sure. I was just talking to, I had a guest from Atlassian and Trello, Jess Webb, and she was, she's remote. There's definitely a big trend here. So what, what's your experience working in, working remote in 100 and in these distributed companies? Yeah. So I think at Automatic, probably up until early 2020, where they were one of the biggest remote <laughs> first companies yeah. in the world, you know, over a thousand people. And so being there from 50 to, to 1200 people personally was really great to see how we scaled up all the communication, how we shared, you know, sharing by default. And I think what I'm seeing now, and I've actually talked to several companies about this is, you know, there was this phase when a lot of people went into lockdown, started working from home is like, can we be productive? Right. And, And I think people found pretty quickly that they could do urgent things. They, they figured out a way to communicate. They figured out a way to, you know, urgently share, take care of those high priority tasks. And now, what is this, nine, 10 months in, we're kind of over that hump of, yeah, we're going to be able to make this happen. And I think there's a, there's a glimmer 
of hope that things will potentially ease up. But I think we need to be thinking about a longer term interaction, a longer term culture, because we actually don't know, right? I think most of us thought by January 2021, we would be in some sort of quote unquote normal and that's not the case. And, and in some ways we may never go back to this office environment, right? We don't know. So I think it, it's really a good chance for organizations to take a, a step back in January, new year to say, okay, we've been doing the urgent things. We've been doing the important things, but now we need to start looking a level deeper. And, and I, I think those in three things, relationship building, strategic work, and also just in general, like how do you keep, well, relationships really has several parts of that, but how do you build a long-term culture for people remotely? Because in some cases, like, you know, in your case, and in my case, I'm one of the few technically remote people, even if people go back to the office, I'm not near an office for my company. Yeah. So for me, it's important. And my team already is spread across um, three different time zones anyway. So I think people are also realizing that their companies are more, more remote than they thought because yeah. you're still communicating across time zones, et cetera. So that's where I think people need to turn now is this long-term remote culture and how do we build that? Totally. All right. I like this. This is interesting. And you're right. I think there's a lot to figure out and it's more than just saying like, oh, could you handle, you know, the shift to remote work? It's like most companies you had to, right? It's like, and they figured mm -hmm. out that productivity bit, but it's only the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. There's so much more to understand there. And eventually things will probably not, you know, not go back to normal, but people will go back into offices, but that's going to be different. Just selfishly thinking of myself, like a lot of people at Pendo will go back into the office and then I will need to adapt, you know, because right now kind of everybody is remote and we're all dealing with similar things, but there will be a shift just because I'm thinking about some of the things you're, you're saying, like relationship, strategy, culture, that's mm -hmm. tough. If you're not, you know, if there's an element of people in the office, it, like in the office, those things are figured out pretty well. But if you're remote, it's harder. So let's, if you're, I know that we're, this yeah. isn't quite following the same questions, but can we break it down? Can we break down those three yeah, relationship so strategic culture? Yeah. So let me talk about, I mean, we've seen, we've all seen the report about psychological safety from Google and saying that, that that's how you <laughs> have the best teams, right? As you build some yeah. sort of psychological safety. And, and really when I talk about relationships is, you know, coming with vulnerability and, and actually trying to be honest in your communication in terms of who you are as a person, how you, how you interact, you know, one of the, this is maybe a really simple thing, but if you're joining a new team or a new company and as you onboard people too, not just asking them to do an introduction, but what I use is like the origin story too. So mm. I can bring in more of my experience and let you know how, especially product marketers, you know, that we haven't walked straight lines. It's helpful. Maybe it's helpful for them to know that I was a network engineer at some point or that I speak Italian or something. There's certain things I think bringing your whole self can be useful. And in, in, so I go some of those things like doing origin stories when you do onboarding. And I think you can't do onboarding, you know, you can't overdo onboarding as much as you can prepare someone for that when they're remote and make them feel part of the team and make those connections is important. Definitely. And then the next thing is also setting up those casual touch points. Cause again, you know, one of the things we mentioned is people figure it out the urgent and short-term really, really um, fast. Right. And then the two other ones, which are, I would say strategic and then like casual, those are a lot harder to figure out, right? At first we started to do those Zoom happy hours and things and people got tired of that. But one of the things yep. that I did at Automatic for a long time was I set up recurring coffee chats with people that maybe I worked with on different teams and I wasn't interacting with anymore. We use tools like some that integrate into Slack. There's one called Donut that sets up actually like random 
meetings with people so that they can just form those connections. One of the things I did before I left was set that up amongst managers. Cause one of the things you may not realize is even like at the management level, sometimes you want people to be sharing leadership and knowledge and how do they manage productivity and, and knowledge sharing. Those things are really helpful because maybe certain teams are really doing it well and, yeah. and you could learn from each other. So at that, at that level. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you with managers too. It's almost like a form of therapy as well. I find just because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't always have people, you know, it's like, if you've got a team of, if you're working on a team as an IC, I think you're all kind of in it and you can talk about stuff or you're a manager of a, of a team or a group, right? Like it's a little more lonely, yeah. but you could talk to a manager at a, in a different team and you can be, you know, you can talk a little bit more freely yeah, about like, how do you know, you, the, the issues and the how struggles. How do you structure and, your one-on-ones? How do you sure. how do you keep track of things? How do you that, even some of that yep. stuff? So I think think like thinking about that for your team long term is is helpful mm-hmm. to to kind of keep that knowledge sharing because those are things that they might do over a lunch together that they would have done in the yes. office. I mean, some of that knowledge transfer and that you know, like I'm saying, not urgent things, you know, are, you know, it has value and there needs to be some structure for that, or at least some ability for people, maybe that don't have the desire to build that structure. Like they can step into it and say, okay, I can sign up for a coffee chat or I can use the donut, you know, tool to, to do that. So I think if you're a leader and you're kind of looking at your across your organization, like how am I providing not just these short-term urgent things, but these casual and and networking opportunities, because people who feel more connected to each other will stay longer at a company (laughs) and they usually work better together. And then the third one is the strategic part, which I think is something that you constantly have to work on. And I know a lot of people, the strategic work has been done in an office or even for remote companies. And this is something, you know, I'll say for, for automatic, I can't speak for them, but I go, they had to cancel their annual meetup because Mm -hmm. of COVID. And that was something that was a landmark every year for people to get together. And even the teams, even if they were working remotely would meet once or twice a year, usually we wouldn't save, or they wouldn't save strategic work for those meetings, but there is some benefit of being in person. So I think as an organization, now you have to think about how do I build strategy like into my company is super, super important. But if it's not, if it doesn't feel urgent, right? It's hard, it's hard for strategy to feel urgent sometimes because you have to be planning so far ahead, right? So you have to work that into your schedule. I've done remote meetups where you block off two hour blocks, you have some whiteboarding, you talk about things, it's about alignment. It's about looking forward and kind of like not having a really strict agenda to let some of that knowledge transfer, those ideas kind of spontaneously happen. Yeah, I like that too. I like that um, using that, using offsite, whatever, half day, you know, Zoom meetings like that, whether it's, you know, there's some structure to like what the day is going to look like, but it's a little bit more unstructured to let some collaboration and creativity happen with strategy. That's really smart because that doesn't, you do kind of, I've noticed it too, as we've been in this for a while, is that you get tired of those like you're saying, you get tired of those kind of set up casual, you know, fun Zoom mm-hmm. things because everybody's got Zoom fatigue. And, but you miss out on, on having, you know, creative ideas because you're just kind of in the machine and the process of just like how things work. So really like that yeah. a lot. And then also going way back to your point you made here at the beginning, I think it's just bringing your whole self to work, spending the time thinking about the onboarding, having like that origin story doc at HubSpot. We did have, we had user guides, which was like a one mm-hmm. page, very similar kind of idea, like one page how to work with me, how, you know, who I am sort of thing. I think all that is tactical, mm-hmm. solid advice. 
Yeah, and if I can give your team some advice, you know, as you go back to this, you know, hybrid, let's just say hybrid, right? Some of you may mm -hmm. be in an office, some of you may, and I think one of the lessons here is whether or not you're all in an office, as long as you're not in the same office, you're a remote company. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're not all in the same exact office, you, you're you remote. I mean, so you need to figure out how to, to work with each other. And I think there's three things that, that can kind of set you up for success, or at least are things you should be thinking about in, in a checklist kind of ways that the access to information, the, the richness of asynchronous discussion, and this habit of knowledge sharing back. And I can go through each one of those in, in detail, but I think those are the, the three key things that you can think about as you're going back to work and saying, okay, where is our information? Like, and, and when we, when we create things, how is the highest level of visibility by default? How transparent is it? How can, and how can we set up that norm, right? Do we have a yeah. place, you know, whether whether or not it's a Google Drive or there's a lot of tools right now, but does everyone know where that is? And that should be the starting point, right? Really private and really personal things can be kept very private and very personal. But in general, if this is something someone else in the company will read, it's probably a good place to put it and, and, and start that habit of, you know, allowing other people to build on your work. That's really yes. what this is about is, is sharing and letting people enrich their work, right? So yeah. that's the number one access so that's information what, trying to yeah why do you need to do this i mean i'm nodding my head over here agreeing with you but like what happens if you don't do this like give me the what's the negative well, outcome there's if you're a, not doing this? so again i think as someone who did this for 10 years i also think of it i personally i like to think of things with a long-term vision i go one of the things is i don't like single points of failure on anything so i mm. want to make sure that if someone knows something they're not the only one that knows where it is, that it's not the only, you know, it's only been shared with one person. So I go, how do I start at the highest level of transparency possible so that anyone can act, you know, like no one wants to send that like dreaded, like request access to document, you know, I think yeah. it, it can send like a weird feeling. And I think that as much as you can remove those barriers of someone, even for example, a simple example is you and I maybe have shared a document with a third party. Maybe they want to share it on, but they don't control the access. It's just you want to remove those barriers to sharing, right? So just access to information, working in public as much as possible yeah. for, for number one. Yeah, for I think no it's, sorry. It's, sorry, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's a good advice for remote, but also just in general, because of yeah. you want to be able to show your work, but it, you'd also don't want to be like, you know, self per like, success theater and like putting on a show every like you just you publish it and you put it out there and it's like and that's the culture and then everybody can see it but mm -hmm. also which is good for you because of visibility but then also exactly what you said people can build on it and so it's like nobody people can build on it people can find it it it, it creates this culture of like you know you don't like it's all there you don't have to go and tap somebody on the shoulder and ask them because you know where to find it anyway I love that point it's a great yeah. one let's move on to your second point yeah the second one was about having a place for rich asynchronous discussion. So what I mean by that, and you know, and there's some tools that give that, but I would say Slack is, Slack is not really a great place for asynchronous discussion. They're, they've gotten mm -hmm. a little bit better with like, say, threading. And I know yeah. I've seen some examples of people, I saw one just recently where someone, they, they create a private channel between them and another person. So that can become like an asynchronous, low urgency communication channel, but they keep their DMs for urgent, hey, you need to be in this meeting kind of stuff, right? So you can have those like, oh, wanted to pick your brain, wanted, yeah, I saw something like that recently, which was, that, that's a, you know, it's, it's a way to have that. I'm thinking a little bit broader. So I'm thinking you want to designate some places for people in different time zones, may, potentially in different teams to be able to chime in on things if needed, right? So that, because I think 
again, when we're looking at the urgent versus not urgent, you know, even on a strategic thing, if you're soliciting feedback or ideas, you know, it's, if someone has to think about, do I, you know, do I answer a question from yesterday, but everyone's moved on from it? They may not, they may not say anything. So I think like having a place and there's a lot of tools that probably could help you do this, but it's a decision you need to make as an organization. How are we going to have this asynchronous discussion that can be richer? You know, one of the ways. And, and this is just, and like, like just the asynchronous, I mean, you're in in-person office culture, stuff happens, decisions get made, people create work and decide things in with synchronous meetings, right? It's like, we're all going to get in the mm-hmm. room and we're all going to meet. And asynchronous is, is that you, we're going to remove the time element. Mm-hmm. And it's something like, you know, I can send you something instead of having a meeting, you know what I mean? Email originally did this, right? It's kind of asynchronous. Right. Where it's like, instead of having a meeting, I'm going to, I'm going to send you this email. You will read it when you're online, like awake or wh- whenever mm-hmm. you have time or whatever. And we're going to work through it that way. So you remove this time function and you're right. Slack, I think can be, Slack is so dangerous. You know, it's such a great tool. I love it. I, mm-hmm. I, do, I yeah. like email so much, or sorry, mm-hmm. I, might, I like Slack so much more than email. It's just way better right. for me because you can quickly have conversations, but you see the Slack. I mean, I turn off all my notifications. I don't know how you treat notifications in Slack, but I think that does mm-hmm. help, but you still see the alert if you have it up and there's an urge to like, Oh, got to jump on that. But that's really dangerous. I think like it just makes it hard to work. So I don't know. Any other thoughts on Slack or? Yeah. And that's the thing. So let me be clear. I use Slack for probably six or seven years. My new tech stack is not Slack. So personally, I'm missing it a little bit. And some some of the things that it solved. And again, it's like having a common place for everyone to be and and to allow those, Mm. those conversations to splinter off. And that's why I wanted to talk about these three things independent of tech stack, because I know some people don't have control over that and where they are, sure. right? But I think you can try and solve these macro problems, right? By thinking about access to information, you know, one idea, like we're using SharePoint. And I just said, everyone don't use things in a team anymore, which, you know, is very, it's dependent on access controls. I said, just dump it in our, the back end of our SharePoint. So by default, every document we create right now, anyone in the company can get to it and, and awesome. we can share that immediately. For example, that's just an example of solving the access to information independent of the tool. The asynchronous discussion as well, that, that one's harder to solve, right? There's, you know, mm. we have email, we have Slack, we have Teams. One of the things that I'm doing, you know, we're using Teams a little bit like that, maybe like the difference between a chat and a, and a channel. Automatic specifically, I think they, they launched a product called P2 last year, which is what is used internally automatic. And it's amazing, to be honest, the, there's a basically turns WordPress into like a mix between Twitter and Facebook with threaded comments. And you can go, you can actually like break out a point and and go deep into it if you want to, right. Without distracting from, if you've ever gotten threaded conversations, like if you think about Reddit or Y Combinator and how they do that, and you can drill down into a point. And I think that's the kind, that's why I talk about richness. Can you drill down into things to get resolution, to, to find a question where email I think is too linear right? Reply all, scroll. So that's one way of solving that. And then the third macro area, I think you need to think about, and you mentioned it, and it's very much tied to the access of information is this habit of knowledge sharing. So documents and and things that we create are one form of knowledge. Notes from a meeting are another form of knowledge. And that's also something that I started with my team is we have a channel called (laughs) share, share, share. And it's literally notes from meetings with other people that we can share back. So the rest of the team, maybe 
today it's not urgent or important for them, but tomorrow they go, oh, you know, so-and-so actually said that customer said that thing. Wow. I just had a new conversation where someone said something similar. Maybe there's a trend, maybe there's something that they're identifying now. And that muscle and that habit of, of, of sharing that back, I think is important because again, you want someone to build off the work. You want to reduce silos and you want to reduce people doing double work on things and having dual conversations. Yeah. I love it. That's a great idea that people should steal. And I also just think it makes the remote worker feel really included and like, oh, like people are sharing, I can share my stuff. You know, you have that Mm -hmm. psychological safety, but also that encouragement to push stuff out there, right? Because sometimes you want to keep things private, maybe because you're worried that if you're worried about people seeing them, which psychological safety, that shouldn't be the case. People should share their work. But yeah, I love that. I'm just thinking about it and thinking like, oh, that sounds really nice, you know, because it is challenging. Part of the, you know, the challenge is like, you want people to work together, you want to stay productive, but also you want, you want to create community, you want psychological safety, you right. want people to feel uh, like they're part of the team and, you know, part yeah. of the community. So I think that I'm sure that this is a this is a tiny thing from the knowledge sharing. Like one of the things, like if I have a one-on-one with someone that I know is for a larger purpose, maybe I'm asking them about the sales deck or something and I, I take notes and I share this with my team. I actually will take the further step to share it back with that person. Just be like, Hey, like I, you know, I, to be transparent and just show, here's what I shared with my team about our conversation. And so they see one, I'm listening to them. They see that the team now has access to the information they shared. So they see also the value of, of communicating with the team, right? So that they, that we're talking to each other, we're sharing, it. it's not going to avoid too. So just some of those, that habit of knowledge sharing. I love it too. And I mean, I think once you really embrace transparency here, and I think that's great. And I mean, I've seen it work too. It can be uncomfortable at first. And, but I do think some, I've heard bad managers described as like hoarding information. You know, they want to hoard all the mm-hmm. information and they want to keep it to themselves because it's a way to, to gain power if you're the only person with this information. But man, yeah. when you totally get over that and remove any concerns about that and just are, are transparent like that, it can seem uncomfortable. But I think people really, really appreciate it. And you just, I don't know, there's a lot, I've seen a lot of benefits to it. Any, any, like, I don't know, any, if there's anybody on the fence about being this open and transparent, what are some of the benefits that you've had? Well, and I wrote a whole article about this because I, at one point in automatic, would they track exactly how many words you write? Cause it's all transparent and open. And I had written a million words at work yeah. and, and literally, I really, what? Yes. Like literally, literally. a million words. Wow. Literally. Literally at that point. And that was three years before I left. So, but one of the things I talked about in there is I think the important part, and I I tried to work and document as if I was always training my replacement. Okay. And and I literally over, I, I think that it can be scary for people who aren't used to that. So what I said is like, you need to make sure you're separating out like processes and historical background from your strategic expertise. It feels important for a short time to be like, I'm the only person that knows that, but you're actually not being valued for your strategy, right? You're just being like a historian. And that is not where you want to be building your value. You want people, just document the the how and whatever, and let people focus on the why, why should we do this? Or when should we do this? What, and like really I think for a personal point of view is like that moves you into more of a strategic role if you're not hoarding that information. Yep. So that was something where I, I would just try and document any background, any decision just to get that off of my plate so I could focus on the next and the opinions and the whys and that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think it's, I agree with that. Another outcome of it too, is that sometimes history repeats itself over time at companies. And it's like, if you've already documented, like, and then 
I found myself in a meeting where, you know, or multiple meetings where I'm like, you know, I think we've done this before. I think we've done this before. And I think we know the answer here. We at least have some, some historical context that we can build off of, but it might be hard to explain that in the moment. But if you've done, mm -hmm. if you've been showing your work and you have, and you've been documenting all this and you, like you said, almost training your replacement with how much you're yep. sharing, people may not even have to, like, you may not even have to mention that because people have already read the thing that you wrote and they're building on it instead of recreating the wheel it's just uh yeah. I've done that too and, and I think that's the better part like someone mentioned to me recently about like where the bodies are buried as a <laughs> phrase and I'm like as a leader as a manager you don't ever want that in your yeah. company you don't want to have bodies buried somewhere you should just have it no. documented and let that person move on right to the next thing that they're they're going to be better at or you know so I think it again that's like a very old school you know like yeah. I know this thing it, it's powerful versus like share what you know and actually like move on to the, the strategy of, of why and when and why we shouldn't do things. Right. So that's where I think it's a strategic move. Totally. And anytime I've felt like nervous about sharing something or being, you know, radically transparent, it goes away pretty quickly because you share the thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. That's not a big deal. Or like if people are, are interested or people are empathetic or like whatever, usually it's not a big a deal as you, as you thought potentially. So let's talk about really, unless there's anything else you want to cover on those points. I love them. Access information, richness of asynchronous communications, knowledge sharing. Those are great. Maybe we can come back to relationship building, you know, like how do you build really strong relationships with people? Let's say you're coming into a new org. You've got a team, you know, that's, it's really important to build a relationship with. You obviously start working with them. I mean, I think some of the things you've mentioned a lot of things that can help, but what are your big points? If you're remote, the other person is remote, you're trying to build a strong relationship. Where should you start? What should you try and avoid? What's the best thing to focus on? So I think when you come in, like I mentioned, if someone's helped you with onboarding, that's amazing. And, you know, it's always nice. Any person you meet, you might ask them as well. Like, who should I talk to? Who knows the most about this thing? And, and also take a little bit more active role in your own onboarding and as well yeah. and get people like, you know, who is the historian in the company, right? Who, you know, who can you point me to, to, to kind of understand how this product got here and stuff and just making sure that you hit all of those, you know, different, different people and different roles within the organization. But I think for me, in terms of relationship building, so for creating relationships, I think what we have to admit is that it takes deliberate effort and thought, right? It's just not, it's not something that happens. And I think for people in a remote organization, it may feel forced at the beginning. And that's definitely as a new person, I had to force that a little bit and say, okay, I want a one-on-one -on -one with you. I want more contact with you. I want to talk to you a little bit. And, and you can, you set the stage for the open, in your intro and in your first conversation, you should open that door and say, look, I, I want to keep working with you. I want to, I'm going to stay aligned with you and come back to that on a regular basis. In terms of alignment and relationships, I think one of the things that I, you need to leave space for in your organization is to step back for a second and say, are we asking the right question here? I know that's super vague, but I think Sometimes you need someone to step back from a meeting, from a relationship and just being like, is this the right question? Is this the right focus of what we're doing? And that alignment can be hard to do remotely. So I think having, so that can be done in a leadership meeting, in a private conversation, but just to make sure that you're keeping that alignment on a regular basis, I think is worth the efforts to misalignment remotely. It can just really compound because you're not seeing those people, maybe you talk to them once a week and you literally have no interaction with them the rest of the week. So right. it's deliberate, it takes thought, it takes effort and it has to be you likely doing that. 
Yeah. I, Dion, I agree. It's really important. And you also, you got to make the space for it too, where it's not, you know, it may seem weird to come into a meeting without, without an agenda. I know that's not mm. a thing that people like, you know, it's like, Hey, when I have an agenda for this meeting, but sometimes you need to have meetings that are like, we call them basically it's like a mind meld meeting and it's just an alignment mm. meeting where we're going to talk through stuff. And I liked them a lot. I didn't like them at first with like my leadership. Like there's a, there's a product leader who ran it was like GM for this products line and I needed to be really, really aligned with him, but I would, we'd come into these meetings and I'm like, well, what are we talking about here? But I realized that they're super valuable because they're just alignment meetings and we would just mind mm -hmm. meld on these topics. And he would just tell me what he's thinking about. And then we would talk about them and then we would get on the same page. And that was super valuable. So it, at first it was and, odd to me, but very valuable. And one thing, I mean, just a simple thing that I've done a lot of my team meetings too, is, you know, depending how you run your team meeting, I prefer not to really do status meetings. We should be communicating that other places. So yeah. I want to talk more strategically. And then usually at the beginning of meetings, we do like a red light, green light. So just to mm. check in with the person, because one, and this cuts back to the bring your whole self to work is that yeah. we're really seeing a slice of that person. And especially with what's going on right now. And usually we split it into work and personal. Like, so sometimes their yeah. work is green light. Things are going well and personal red light <laughs> things yeah. are going how bad do you do you know, can like you, we, I, how, so tell me yeah. so that's we only recently so there was something at HubSpot where we started doing too or it's similar but tell me what does that mean like, can you explain it if someone doesn't know like the red light green light for work and personal how do yeah. you is there do they mm -hmm send you something before the meeting or tell me exactly how it works. No. So it's, it's live. And let's be clear. People can share as much as, or as little as they want to. I've had people say pass. I've had people say things are green and just, it's up to that person to share if they want to. And if they don't, then they don't have to, but I think it can give, and, and by the way, people go red, yellow, green, sprite, sunset, like flashing, you know, like they can get creative with it too. And th that brings their own kind of personality of like, this is what's going on in my world right now. So I think I like to do that a little bit because to remember that we are full humans working here and, and that's setting a little bit and it gives us a little bit of sensibility to what the other person's because like my team is in four different countries. Like I have someone in Russia where, you know, if COVID is really bad there, like we need to be sensitive to that. Her mother's, right. you know, stuck in a, in a hotel, you know, in the Ukraine. I mean, there's that stuff has happened, but unless you give space for that, we may not know about it. Right. So having totally. that little check-in kind of sets the tone a little bit for people and maybe it's funny, maybe it's sensitive, et cetera. Yeah. And that's, I don't think that's, maybe that's a remote, I mean, that's going to help with remote, but I think that's just a future of work thing. You know, I mean, it's helped like mm -hmm. everybody has brought more of themselves to work over the last year, whether they wanted to or not. I mean, and that's like a lot more people saw my, like met my son on zoom because yeah. he was, you know, for the first, however long he was right here. And you right still did your job. Out. Yeah. Still and you my still job did your job fine. and you're still fine. Right. I mean, that's, we've yep. taken away that stigma a little bit too. Right. That people can get work done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love it. Right. Because it's, you know, before, if like I was on a zoom and like my son was crying in the background, I'd be like, Oh God, like I got to, right. like, I got to deal with this. But now no, like everybody, I'm sure it's still as potentially distracting, distracting. right? Because you, you hear it, Maybe. but nobody is, everybody's cool with it in, in a way that makes me feel like, but you like good, you know, it's like, yeah, hey, yeah it's like, hey, yeah. all right, this is this is life, everybody. This is life. Sometimes, you know, my son's here, I gotta jump off the camera and, and do something and then blah, blah, blah. But I forget how we got here. But anyway, that <laughs> I think that is a future, like we've all been doing this. And it's just an important thing that everybody has stuff going on outside of life, right? Or it's outside of work. And by checking in and on that and saying, 
how is it? How's it going? Do you want to talk about it? Do you not want to talk about it? Is it affecting you? Do you have like, like having some dialogue there before you just jump into whatever it is that's going on for the business is important. Yeah. And I think I'm hoping that's a long-term effect of this period is that we, we acknowledge that we are whole bodies at work. Right. And, and we can still get our job done or we can still, we can ask for, you know, leniency when we need it. And it's not, you know, I think I'm hoping that does stay because I think that we've humanized people a lot when we go, Oh, you're wearing a sweatshirt at home. Your, your house is cold and look at your, the background of your, I mean, it's just, I think it's just taken down something that I've been used to for years, but I think other people are finally like, Oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. I think it's been great and it's helpful. It's like, it's good to know more about people because it always helps you understand them a little bit better. And there's lots of ways, like maybe there's like, you know, you can have someone who is great because they're providing they're, you know, they're providing stuff that other people don't, maybe they're limited in one way. And that's just because they've got uh, kids or other life stuff going Mm -hmm. on or dealing with also, but, but it's like, you can, it's easier to understand people's strengths and weaknesses and work with them. And that's right. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great point. Okay. We've gone all over the map here, which is fun because it's a good <laughs> conversation, but let me see. One thing I think that's interesting is you, you're a leader, you're in product marketing, you're telling stories, you're inspiring people, you're giving people confidence. Any tips on like doing that over zoom or through just b- via remote? Like it's easy to come in and kind of command a room if you're good at it, right. And tell a story and get people excited in person in a meeting, but how do you do that virtually? So I think, I don't know if I've known another way. So for me, it's just like, I think, I don't know how you can't bring emotion. How you can't like, that should just be part of your experience that you're trying to communicate. It depends on the audience really. And the connection that you're trying to form with that person. But I have built relationships. I have an executive coach that that I've never met. Still, I think that this gets back to the vulnerability to who you are as a person and how you weave that into your story, your confidence. Like you mentioned, one of the things you mentioned about giving people confidence, you know, I've been working with a couple of mentees recently and we've been talking about, and this is specifically relevant for product marketers that owning that like personal narrative story, right? Because we haven't had that straight line that we've walked. And, and in some ways, product marketing is pretty relatively recent as a, it feels recent to me, at least we're just now starting to see VP of PMM. Maybe one day we'll see CPMM, but I think it's starting to own that narrative about your experiences and who they make you. One of the books I've been reading that I wanted to bring up that are really interesting is called Range. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, I'm reading but it. But it talks I about- I haven't finished it, but I'm really <laughs> enjoy- It's a great book for product marketers. It feels like it was written for right. product marketers. Love it. Yeah. Yes, right. So I, it's about generalists for those of you who haven't read it and probably every product marketer should read it. But I think in it, as someone who's struggled with the specialist generalist, I, and I think that product marketing is right in the middle of so many intersections of- disciplines, knowledge, and team, it's, it's actually a really great place to be a generalist where you can, mm-hmm. you can change hats and you can do that. So I think on both sides of that, one, embracing your story, whether or not it doesn't feel like a, a linear place that you've gotten to in your career. And the other part is really seeing that all of those different experiences can actually build up to something. And, and, and they're all parts of your, I don't know, the arrows and your in your quiver, so to speak, and it kind of feeling good about that. So I definitely recommend reading that because I think if you've struggled with that, as I have sometimes, it's really helpful to read that. 
hundred percent. Yeah, I, came I don't think I similar... answered your question. It's all right. You know, <laughs> we <laughs> get where we get. I have no problem with it. I think it's always, okay. you know, it's interesting. This is a very interesting topic. I mean, range is super cool because yes, it does give you a lot of inspiration as a PMM. Yeah, range. I yeah, the thing that I got from range, what I think maybe we're trying to get to, is that if you are specialized in something where there's a closed environment and you have an expectation of what you're what you're going to encounter and the different types of scenarios and you know the repeatability of certain things, then then that specialization makes sense. But if if you may need to approach a new problem or a new scenario and you have this breadth of experience, you may actually be able to bring in different models and different approaches and different ways of solving things that you wouldn't have connected together originally. And so that, that I felt was like the powerful part of that. And that, you know, kind of gets back to like the whole concept of first principles, which I'm still very much trying to study and understand is, you know, trying to start with, you know, don't start with the paths, you know, of getting somewhere as a solution, but like really starting to work backwards from the solution to see if there's a new path, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 And I think that is, you know, I've seen product marketing get more and more strategic and it's just a great advertisement for why we are great strategists. And it's, you know, it's because you bring a product marketer in to solve, you can bring a product marketer in to solve all sorts of different problems because they do have this wide range of experiences and disciplines and ideas to pull from because they're so cross-functional. So yeah, yeah, read range, think about how you can apply it to your strategy. I totally think you're right. It's like, you have to force yourself a little bit not to, to sort of like go backwards, right? It's like, okay, I'm not going to apply past learning to this. I'm just going to try, I'm going to try and think about it differently and think about it new and think about it more openly. Anything you want to share with our listeners? Are you hiring? Are you working on anything? Do you have anything interesting um, going on that you want to tell people about? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be building out the team at Cloud Blue. So I'm happy to send along some recs when they're up, but those should come pretty soon. And, and I'm excited in general for product marketing and, and the place that we're all going. So I appreciate everyone else coming on and listening. And if you feel like reaching out to me to, to talk, I'm super open to that. Amazing. All right. We will put your LinkedIn in the show notes. Connect with Sarah if you're interested in to connect with her and she'll share stuff opposite Cloud Blue or anything else interesting as they're coming along. How do you feel about the future of product marketing? You think it's a good career path, good place for people to be right now? Yeah. Like I mentioned, I think it's really exciting. I think we're just now even starting to see, I wouldn't say the ceiling raise, but that mm -hmm. the leadership, because I think traditionally it's kind of like you choose at some point to go into marketing or back, you know, maybe into product. I haven't seen very many C, C level PMM, you know, specifically as a role, I've seen some VP now. But I think it's a great place. Like I said, it's a wonderful place to be in the intersection of so many things. You can learn so much. You can go in a bunch of different directions even afterward. So I'm excited for more people to, to get into this discipline. Totally agree. All right, Sarah, this is a really interesting conversation. I appreciate you making some time and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Drown in the city lights 